Pilot TV podcast this week, we're on the trail of a rogue AI and unorthodox capitalization in Next on Star, looking for a pandemic paramour in Love in the Time of Corona, and searching for a missing person along with John Sim in ITV's batty police drama, Grace. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that, were it to shape itself around my binge-watching habits this week, would be a quixotic news show reinventing itself to honestly report the facts despite corporate interference and pressure to chase cheap clicks and eyeballs. However, just because I watched 13 episodes of The Newsroom this week does not mean the whole podcast necessarily has to revolve around that fact, although it might end up revolving around the Faustian pact I made with Terry this week in order to get her to watch it. But more on that in just a minute, because I'm joined on the show this week by my two co-hosts, the Woodward and Bernstein of modern entertainment journalism, Boyd Hilton (laughs) and Terry White. How are you both? Fine, thank you. Fine. I would just like to apologise for uh, mispronouncing Negan's name in last week's podcast. Um, <laughs> I, as I was saying it, I knew I was saying it wrong. And it was, because you're so polite to me for some reason, James, you didn't pick me up on it. People have complained on Twitter and it was stupid. And I actually, bear in mind, I hosted a major discussion <laughs> of Negan and The Walking Dead at the Edinburgh TV Festival a few years ago. And I do know how to pronounce his name, but I got it wrong. Sorry. I think I was thinking of Megan rather than... Yeah, yeah. Megan. <laughs> yes, Megan. The, the famous villain Megan. Yeah. Um, I took the pass-ag approach, and instead of correcting you, just said it correctly directly <laughs> yeah. after you without referencing <laughs> Really it. loudly, yeah, pointedly. Boyd normally, to be fair, Boyd normally does that to me. So whenever I mispronounce, Boyd lets it slide, and then, yeah. like, two minutes later, does it exactly right while kind of looking me right in the eye. <laughs> it's the yeah. only way to do it's it, really, way. I think. Yeah. Now... I will say anyone who was on Twitter on Monday night following us will have some idea about what went on between us on that particular night. So let's jump straight into what we've been watching so that I can get this confession off my chest. Because what I've been watching is... Oh, God, I can barely even say these words. Married at First Sight Australia. Now, before all of you start taking to the streets and setting things on fire, I did this under duress and as part of a bargain struck a sort of satanic bargain struck with Terry, whereby she agreed to watch the newsroom if I would watch the finale or the reunion episode, if you will, of Married at First Sight Australia. I'll be honest, I didn't fully understand what was going on at all, except I will say Sam is a dick. And the way he talked to Heidi, I wouldn't fucking stand for that, I'll tell you right now. But even Sam isn't as bad as Mike. Mike is the absolute worst. I cannot believe he was shagging Inez all along. And Elizabeth looked absolutely gutted. This despite looking like a modern day Disney character and having slight Dracula vibes. But I thought Jules and Cam were lovely. Did you say how Sam talked to Heidi? I'm confused. (laughs) Hang on. Mike is the one who was married to Heidi who said... This isn't therapy. And Sam is a sleazy sleazebag who didn't even bother turning up for the reunion because he knew what was going to go down. Hang on. Is that right? Boyd, help me out here. Mike is Heidi's husband. You're gaslighting me. You are gaslighting me over Married at First Sight Australia. Don't try and teach Terry. Don't try and James Splain Married at First Sight Australia. Google it. Google it. Mike was married to Heidi. Shaved head. Oh, that was Mike. That's and, Mike. And you're saying Sam is the guy who didn't turn up. Sam is the guy who didn't turn up, who did the dirty within it. I mean, to be fair, they're all called Mike, Mick, Nick, Bob. Like they've all got the, the names are an absolute minefield. But you've got because you've got half of it right. So Sam was <laughs> Sam was banging Innis behind Elizabeth's back, but. Mike is the one who talked to Heidi like shit and gaslit Heidi for pretty much, you know, 
39 oh, yes, it episodes. turns out you're absolutely right. I've mixed up. Oh, God. See, you can see I don't have a future in watching reality TV. Mm. I can't even keep the name straight in my head. But, I was uh, going to um, compliment you and say you picked it up incredibly quickly. You were right there on Twitter. Mm. But now I've discovered that all along you had two of the main characters completely mm. confused. So. I did. Weirdly, so, you managed to focus on character names when it comes to The Witcher, but you can't do it when it comes to <laughs> uh, the... Yaskier and Geralt of Rivia. I know them, but I can't tell the difference yeah. between Mike and Sam. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's it can be said. I know most of the the genealogy from Game of Thrones, but I can't keep these Australians straight in my head. It's it's a weird thing this stuff that you watch, you reality people. Like I, you know, and I was so just to give listeners the full breakdown. So I really immersed myself in this. Not only did I watch this live as it played out, I even joined the official Empire Married at First Sight Australia WhatsApp group so that I could immerse myself in the dialogue and the conversation and the commentary as it played out. Uh, let me tell you, Ben Travis was invested in this shit it's i mean that so the sam sam the one who didn't turn up he's the worst the absolute worst of all of them he was terrible didn't like him at all did it live up to your expectations terry did you enjoy this final episode the I grand mean, finale well we all knew that the big reveal was going to be that um oh god now i've forgotten her name <laughs> i told you it's a fucking minefield did, um <laughs> first word sounds like Blonde, did the dirty on Mick. Mick's wife. <laughs> Jessica. Oh, Mick, Mick, not to be Jess. confused with Nick or Mike. Yes. So, Jess, um, we all knew that Jess had hit on Nick, Cyrell's, crazy Cyrell's husband. Obviously, this put a spanner in the works between Jess and Dan, because Dan had asked Jess when mm-hmm. Jess made a move on him, oh, have you tried this with any of the other guys? And she, she said, no, I'm just falling for you. At the reunion, what do they play? Footage which shows her hitting on Nick. It was brilliant. The moment we've all been waiting for as she looked mortified, as she'd totally been caught bang to rights. Dan just looked horrified. But also, I should mention that if you did enjoy the reunion episode, like we did, and you wondered what happened to Dan and Jess after this reveal... There is the most brilliantly excruciating piece of news footage online. I watched it. Which is her, Jess, for the first time admitting that, yes, she did hit on Nick because she tried to deny it somehow, even though there was footage of her literally doing it. And it's brilliant. So on live telly, they go on a live news show and she decides now is the time to confess that, yes, she did crack on to somebody else. And his face is a picture. And they essentially just kind of split up on live television. It's even somehow even worse than the actual <laughs> show itself. Wow. I mean, I feel I should at this point apologise to all the people who regularly message me to complain about the discussion of reality TV on the podcast yeah. and, and assure you that I have not turned to the dark side. This was a one-off. I'm never going to do it again. I am not like this was this was this was a pact, wasn't it, Terry? We had an agreement. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, it is time for you to hold up your end of the agreement. Now. I've watched 13 episodes of The Newsroom. I have disappeared back down a hole. This was one of our listeners' fault, actually. I was looking for something to watch in the uh, to fill the line of duty-shaped hole in my life, and someone said they were putting on The Newsroom. And at that exact moment, I was scrolling through shows thinking, what should I watch, what should I watch? And I went, do you know what? I will watch it too. And that has been my week. But now, you watched, Terry, didn't you, the first two episodes of The Newsroom. Tell me about that. I hated it. Yes. I hated it. Yes. Like, I was texting you last night. I didn't, at first, I was like, I'm not going to break and text James. I'm going to do this on the podcast. And then I just couldn't stop myself because I was so upset with you for, for <laughs> making me 
endure this. I honestly, right, here are my issues. <laughs> it's dreadful. Right. So, <laughs> A, the writing. None of this it's is beli- Aaron Sorkin. Exactly. None of it is believable. It looks like a set. Like, clearly, that is not a proper newsroom. The Everything about it looks contrived and cheap. Like, Jeff Daniels, I didn't buy his character at all. His relationship with Emily Mortimer, I'm sorry, they used to be in a relationship together. It's funny because they are literally like strangers. She drove me mad. Her character, Mac. Honestly, I was like, am I like that? She's got, like, she's just this two-dimensional nonsense character. There has never been a woman like that who has existed. No chemistry between them at all. It's like they've never met each other before they went on set that day. I do not buy this supposed kind of secret relationship between Alison Pill's character and um, Thomas Sadowski. And here's the thing. There are good people in this. They're just all terrible in this. And I like there's no compelling story. Um, there's no sense of forward narrative propulsion. There's no sense of it being engaging or compelling. I mean, I could, Jeff Daniels' character, Will, couldn't give a fuck. I honestly, I was like, am I meant to be invested in you in some way? Because seriously, I'm not. I mean, that opening, oh my God, the opening where they're on stage and he says all the, I mean... That is the most overwritten, mm. ridiculous opening. To, and I was just like, no, 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 no. Why am I watching this? So disappointed. It's just literally the most disappointing thing I've ever watched. Everybody in it is dreadful. Everybody's irritating. <laughs> Nobody is likable. Sam Watson, by the way, who is an epic hero of a man, don't give me that old mm. sozzled guy in a bow tie who, you know, like that bit when he steps in between um, Thomas Sadowski's character and Jeff Daniels when they have the confrontation about him leaving and taking <laughs> his staff. And he thre- I mean, that whole thing, it's so hammy. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad. I watched, I rewatched episode one as well. And by the way, you need a, the, the only way to cleanse this is to what is to go back to plan A and, and do watch the, the West the, Wing again. The left, no, the leftovers. You should, we should have stuck with the leftovers because I went. So I rewatched episode one to remind myself. Well, why didn't I like? Why did I never really ca- ca- catch on with this show? Because it's dreadful. With the newsroom, it's absolutely terrible. You're right, and it's even worse now. It's so dated. It's so you know how the West Wing because of the dialogue, because of yeah. the characters and the situations, and they have a weight to them. It hasn't really dated, and yet this show, which was made for HBO. And, you know, should have been a very slick thing that should, feels so out of time. Oh, my God. Like, that opening, as you say, his pathetic attempt to, to do the network Peter Finch speech. But, no, this is like an, this is a, 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 a middle-brow kind of, like, you know, liberal... Mm, he's a Republican. Kind of not, ref- not brave enough to tell an audience, like, I'm an Orion about whether America isn't the greatest country in the world. That was yeah, so embarrassing. I know. Like, to a, to a group of students, by the way. And if anyone knows American college life, knows that students are predominantly left-wing, lib- left-wing people who would not sit there being stunned that someone says America is not <laughs> the greatest know. country in the world. It was ridiculous. And then the whole of that first episode is men, these messianic men, <laughs> are talking, talking at each other for hours or 
on end, and the women come in and go, "Oh, I was, I'm his secret girlfriend. I'm his, I'm his ex." <laughs> it is excruciating. Yeah. I could not believe how excruciating it was. And the whole point of the show, which is Aaron Sorkin going back and telling news stories so that he gets it right about how they should have been covered by network news, is unbelievably <laughs> got the godlike <laughs> lunacy of that man. It is a real blot on his on his copybook. And I, really I, think like we should, like, I think we should draw a veil over it and move on to the stuff he's done since. See, I love it. And I I completely see why people might not love it. And you didn't even get to episode, I think it's five, the, the, the Osama Bin Laden episode, oh. which might be the worst thing that's ever been on television. Well, but... and I've seen that scene. I've seen that oh, scene. Oh, but it's not just that scene. It's the whole episode is about that. Like the whole episode is this like people clapping each other on the backs and shaking their hands and saluting each other and just being incredibly self-satisfied because Osama bin Laden is dead and I don't know maybe it's just because I'm not American but the whole thing just felt slightly obscene and that scene on the plane at the end is excruciating that the whole thing is extremely <laughs> like the West Wing gets uh you know accused of being that kind of slight slightly liberal porn idealistic but oh. it has nothing yeah. on this this is so smug and so quixotic to the point where you know the Don Quixote thing is actually a running narrative theme in the show but I really enjoy it. I love the characters oh. that get really involved in their personal relationships. No. And I love the fact that this was, obviously it came out in 2012 and it looks back, like it's set a couple of years before it filmed so that they can talk about stories in retrospect as if they're dealing with them at the time. And it's interesting now looking at the rise of the Tea Party and how he deals with it and stuff. And yes, it doesn't feel in any way like connected to the reality that we live in. But I don't know. I think maybe that's why I love it so much because it's almost as much of a fantasy for me as The Witcher is. Like it's just, it takes place in a fictional universe <sighs> and I can just drop myself into the middle of it. Weirdly, I think I prefer season one actually to the other ones at the season two there's a, wow. there's a few narrative thing going mm. on that i don't actually like as much there's the the african sequence and there's the sequence where they talk about the, there's a chemical weapons attack thing which is a thread that runs all the way through this so there's a frame narrative in season two which starts with them you know with a lawyer with marcia gay harden talking about this thing that they got wrong and that becomes the backbone of the season but uh oh yeah that was boring i remember that <laughs> <laughs> it's I quite really boring. Like it. I'm not it's alone. quite boring. It is well, boring. Some of everything. Our listeners, it is. some of them really are really is. enjoying it. No, it is boring. It's That's boring. the thing. It's, it's like unforgivably yeah. boring. Uh, yeah. <sighs> and, and the fact, the weird thing is, Succession is the show this is trying to be. Oh, that is the, it absolutely is. It's depiction of there's you, not it, a bell end in sight in the newsroom. Yeah, your whole thing about bell ends this this <laughs> punctures your whole theory because Succession. <laughs> um, that, that's the other choice really that we should we should watch. Dragon God. <laughs> it's everything this show is it's absolutely everything and the, yes, as you say the sense, it's completely authentic depiction of the media and that world of politics the, as, as so says the sets on this it's embarrassing it doesn't What's feel real at all it's so fake it's clearly it's so fake. a set yeah, it's, it's clearly awful. a set that's the problem yeah. it's ridiculous I keep waiting for somebody to lean on a wall and go straight through it like it's absolutely unbelievable I, honestly I, I just felt like Everybody else is watching a different show to me. So many people have tweeted well, no, me. Not saying everyone else. A lot of people a lot of people hate the newsroom. Like you are not alone. Like it, yeah. it polarizes people massively. And so. By the way, it just doesn't fucking matter what a news <laughs> or a news anchor thinks and says. That's the big problem with it. <laughs> Who gives a shit? Even yeah. now, American news, no one fucking cares. They're just Dan Rather. Who gives a shit what he thinks about anything? <laughs> and that's the fundamental problem with it. 
And I loved all that, like, you know, oh, welcome back. Welcome yeah. back to being a journalist. Look I at mean, him go, oh, my God, we've missed. Oh, shut up. Like, because read, think about, just yeah, read th- the news. Right. Shut think up. about the morning show for a minute. Right? What is the morning show is actually about how ridiculous it is that those people are so revered and, yeah. so, and everyone makes so much t- attention to them. This is celebrating that. It's ridiculous. It is. It is. I can't, I, you know, I weirdly, like, I don't disagree. Well, most of your comments I don't disagree with, but they don't bother me. Like, I love it despite those things. No, so. but, but what about, okay, you are so a bag of fucking jangling spanners and contradiction because what about, what, what about, what about um, quality? You're always banging yeah. on about quality, but then when it suits you, you're like, oh, I don't mind that it's but a pile is, of shit. I know kind of what you mean. Like, I don't, like, I don't think, the scripts themselves are terrible i do think that the and there are great people in this i don't think they nail the sorkinese in the way that the west wing players do like and it doesn't for me i don't think it's as well written as the west wing either. but sorkinese there you go there is a lot let's in talk this. about the sorkinese let's talk about the sorkinese yes, this is let. the one that is, feels like self-parody of what the, of, i'm of saying sure. is if you look at the cast of the west wing there is a lightness of touch to their performances which i think it lends itself to his rapid dialogue there is a lot of acting in capital letters in the newsroom like it's really oh over the oh top yeah. Yeah. so much acting I think I said that yeah. to you last night didn't I yes. everybody's acting so much yeah. it's like yeah. oh does everybody know we were in a relationship for two and a half years like <laughs> thanks for that exposition and that acting at the same time do you think everybody knows no do you think I'm just going to pick up this yellow whiskey and everything it's like amdram amdram <laughs> Well, okay, so if you're looking for some Amdram, then uh, the newsroom may well be for you. Uh, clearly wasn't for Terry. I'm interested for you, Terry, to watch the first episode of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip and see oh, if that straddles that the divide. We've got to do We've got to stalk through <laughs> no, the yeah, I will give it some time. I'm not saying you need to do it for next week. I'm just saying, since you've done those two, and I don't think you'll like Sports Night, I think go with Studio 60 for another Sorkin pilot. What about pilot. Um, uh, Friday Night Lights, which, have, which is the other one everyone keeps saying it's, to me? It is fantastic. I love it. I love it. Though I, I, you know, I think Boyd will explode if you don't watch the leftovers. No, it's Should, fine. I don't, right. Friday Night Lights is great. It's fine. Here are the cho- here are the three choices: Succession, yeah. which I've still yeah. never watched a single episode like that. of. That ends. Leftovers. Yeah, amazing. Um, Friday Night Lights. Also amazing. Part of season two. I think you'll love. I think you'll love Succession and the Leftovers. Uh, and Friday Nights, I think you you will enjoy it. But I think it it probably. I don't know. I. I it's, I think it's slightly less you. I mean, I will you. happily rewatch Friday Night Lights along with you, uh, if you when you get that, once I've finished my newsroom watch. Okay, so while you finish that, I will watch The Leftovers, as previously agreed. Okay. Um, and then we will both rewatch Friday Night Lights. Well, okay. or I will that, watch it. That sounds like a plan. That sounds like a plan. We'll go through that. Uh, have we been watching anything else before we move on from this overlong segment? Yes, um, I'll quickly want to mention the fact that Bloodlands gets really good oh, does <laughs> right it? at the end of episode two and then into episode three well, and four. Well, I'm going to say is some people agree with Terry. <laughs> well, yeah, honestly, but that, it's, it's almost a problem with it that it's structured around a massive twist at the end of episode two that then changes the whole thing from uh, episode three and four onwards. So I've seen the whole thing now and I, and I really like it. I think it's really good. It's only four episodes. Um, so Bloodland is really okay. good. And McDonald and Dodds, which is ITV Sunday night cosy crime drama, murder drama with Jason Watkins and Tala Guvaya as mismatched cops in Bath. And this is like, they've got, we're, we're reviewing a feature length ITV Sunday night drama later in this, but clearly this is their new thing is doing these quite kind of out there crackers, um, 
massively rating um, murder shows. And this one, the episode that went out last Sunday, which is called The Man That Wasn't There, was all about a group of 80s stars being trapped in a hot air balloon and one of them falling overboard, yeah, and disappearing. And it starred Martin Kemp, Kathy Tyson, Patsy Kenza and Rupert Graves and Rob Brydon. And it was fucking insane and hilarious, but really good fun. So that was really good. Um, and that's about it for me. Okay. One thing I probably should mention is, and we won't discuss any spoilers, so don't worry, but the final episode of WandaVision did, in fact, air oh, yeah. today as we record on Friday. And I have to say, my when we reviewed this, I definitely said it on one podcast. It could have been this or one of the Empire <laughs> ones. But my whole thing with WandaVision when we watched it is I didn't enjoy the first two episodes particularly, but I had a feeling that I would think this show was amazing by the time I got to the end of it. I just wasn't there at that point. And honestly, at this stage, I do think it's an incredible, incredible tv show i think it's an absolute masterpiece it didn't get me straight off with the kind of retro 50s sitcom aesthetics but a as the as it moved through the eras i think it became more accessible to me and then as you saw more of the arc and the story underlining it uh yeah absolutely love it we will have our final wandavision spoiler special episode dropping on monday as well uh, if you don't already sign up to that empireonline.com slash spoiler specials do sign up for the bargain price of 2.99 a month but yeah Really, really good show. I'm a big fan. Boy, what do you think of it? I, re- I think I, re- it's, I agree. Generally, I, I was sl- had a slight moments of disappointment in the in the finale. I think, do you know what? I think that almost for me, like the more it went away from that incredible concept, initial mm. concept, an unbelievably bold and exciting concept. Funny enough, which you found off putting, but I found that I found the immersion in the sitcom stuff incredible to experience and to watch. And particularly as it as as it went on, and then I, I do think the, the the finale for me, without spoiling anything, got bogged down in in classic Marvel special effects <laughs> battle finale. I mean, it really it felt like every single ending to a Marvel film I've ever seen, and that was a bit of a disappointment. I was hoping they were going to work out a way of making it a bit different, and there's still incredible amounts to enjoy in it, and it, it it is it is fantastic generally. But I have I have certain issues with certain elements of the finale, but generally that's not going to stop me from saying that it's definitely like one of the TV achievements of of the year for sure oh definitely. Yeah, yeah without a shadow of yeah. a doubt shall we move on then to the listener question this week's listener question comes from will cross and he says i've just finished a full dawson's creek binge and would love to know each of your favorite tv teen based dramas now will i'm going to lay on immediately we can all agree buffy is one of the most influential teen dramas yeah. and just cover it off there <laughs> uh okay so the answer, the correct answer to this question, apart from Buffy, is the OC, which is spectacular in every way. Drama, death, substance abuse, <laughs> slutty mothers, money, privilege, class, like absolutely fucking brilliant. And it still stands up and it still stands the test of time. Recent mention must go to Euphoria, which I think we all mm. loved and all felt like it was unlike pretty much any uh, teen show that we'd certainly ever seen. It's it's interesting how it changes for generations. Like I think yeah. about those teen shows of our times, which were like Buffy, The O.C., Dawson's Beverly Creek, Hills 90210. Beverly Hills 90210. Very sweet. Very all all really focusing on middle class white kids essentially um and you know there's an or apart from the one who's poor you know like joey potter in dawson's creek who's the poor girl and she has to work as a waitress at the same time (laughs) as going to school it's just dreadful and it's interesting how much they've moved on with the next generation i think something like euphoria was like unthinkable for a teen show even like 
three or Even four years ago. Even skins didn't go to those that kind of lengths, did it? No, and I think it's it's kind of amazing because um, you know we had we all had well I had problems with Thirteen Reasons Why. I think uh, Boyd had some mm. as well, mm. um, and the kind of lack of what I thought was responsibility around some of it. And I think Euphoria, what it does so brilliantly is it doesn't shy away from those difficult issues of drugs, um, trauma a soul, all all of those things, but it handles it in such an incredibly honest, but I think realistic and responsible way at the same time, um, which is what I think, why I think it's actually so powerful. Good shout. Boydie. Well, you, you mentioned just now, in, in, Skins. Is, I absolutely mm. loved Skins. Um, and it has... I mean, Skins to me was the one was the one that had the 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 balls and the guts to do all this stuff to to, to address all this stuff in a, in a, in a really kind of bold, um, no holds barred, quite adult way, really. And funnily enough, Skins it was almost inappropriate for its target audience to watch at various points. So it, which you know, kind of now it seems completely euphoria. Basically, whatever euphoria is doing. Generally, Skins did it first to some extent, and I think the influence is there massively. Also gave us Nicholas Holt, Dev Patel, Joe Dempsey, Chaos Godelario, Jack O'Connell, Daniel Kaluuya, Hannah mm. Murray, all started in Skins. Dev um, Patel, who of course peaked with The Newsroom, but carry on. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, oh my I mean, God, don't even get yeah. me started on that. No, don't even get me started, exactly. Um, the writer, it, it was just a really bold, um, really well-executed show. And it had this really interesting structure where every they would have a cast, a court cast for two series, and then they would change it. So it wasn't like you wouldn't watch them getting older and older. Um, it would bring in a new cast of characters to take over. And it worked really well. It's It, it was Jack Thorne started out in it as well. Um, it just was a really bold, effective. And I went on set. I went on set in in London. I went on. I went to visit the when they filmed an episode in Morocco. I went to visit there. So I have a big personal attachment to the show. Love the cast. Love the creators of it. Brian Elsley um, and his son uh, Jamie Britton. Um, and it was brilliant. And and slightly undervalued. I think slightly underrated because I think it was doing a lot of what the big American shows that became you know iconic quite quickly were doing. But it was doing it in, in a rather more daring way for me and a more realistic way good shout uh what would i choose i mean dawson's creek weirdly i didn't i don't think i watched that until i was at empire like, i watched that way after it had finished i didn't watch it when it first aired so that wasn't one for me in fact for me the teen shows i mean beverly hills 90210 was one i definitely watched as a teenager uh of course the definitive teen show is quite clearly fate the wink saga i think we can all agree um i mean <laughs> you, you didn't say that with a straight face even i am not gonna make that argument don't worry but i mean so sex education i would argue mm. Is, I mean, at the moment is is probably the the high watermark for that. Um, a lot of people love Riverdale. I've seen a few of those. I've never really got on with it. The tone of it doesn't quite sit well with me. I quite like those sort of YA slash dystopia slash experiment type shows like The Hundred, um, The Society, The Wilds. You know, I mean, I didn't love The Wilds, but I like the idea of it. Um, I binged a lot of The Vampire Diaries at one point. I can't remember why, but I sat <laughs> wow. through about, I mean, a good number of seasons of that. <laughs> Did you? Um, Smallville, I watched back in the day in fact i went through a period of watching a lot of these shows there's something about teen show there's a purity to teen shows like there's an intensity of emotion and of and of sort of circumstance that i think is sort of works in a kind of unique way um freaks and geeks paul feig's show that was really really good and ahead yeah, of its time uh, i thought gossip girl was a very good one as well if i were to pick one out what would i pick i mean weirdly friday night lights again is a teen show yes its focus is in in no small part on the coach and his wife as well but it is about the high schoolers and the football players 
players. Uh, so I think that one casts. But Veronica Mars, I think, would probably be my favourite pure teen show sort of wow. set in a school. Wow. I think that's absolutely great as a kind of high school noir type thing. Not quite in the way of, of Ryan Johnson's Brick, but like it, the way it's kind of set out as a sort of PI. Um, I, and really, really smart scripts, really, really great character. I think that's that's brilliant too. But, you know, fuck it. I've watched One Tree Hill. I've watched Glee, Roswell, you name it. Do you remember, did you, have you ever watched Joan of Arcadia? Do you remember that? Yeah. Where yeah. she talks to God. Yeah. And then there's Shailene Woodley's Secret Life of the American Teenager. My So-Called Life as well is probably oh, another one that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the, I, I think you're right, James. There's something in the sincerity of teen yes. shows. The ones that, and the ones that are the best, like Dawson's Creek and the OC, they don't, it's not that patronising of, of these kids and their experiences. It treats the, them with a sincerity that's actually really affecting. And I think that's always the key because, you know, there are things that happen when you're a teenager which feel like the biggest thing happening in the world ever and, like, you're mm. the first person for any of these things to actually happen to. And I think the shows that lean into that in a really sincere way are the ones which are which are most impactful, really. And so there is, there's something quite special about them. But I can't say that I'm... Watching, I mean, Sex Education, I guess, is the only teen show I'm kind of watching at the moment. I well, think Euphoria, oh, Euphoria, wouldn't it? I don't watch Euphoria. Oh. I've seen oh, some Euphoria episodes, but I don't, I don't keep up with Euphoria. Of course, when Fate the Wink Saga returns, I will be a hundred percent back in that. So uh, you know, there, there's always that. The Winks will keep me going. Anyway, so that is the our answer to your question, Will. I hope that was enlightening for you. If you would like your question answered, do send it to us via DM at Pilot TV Pod. That is nine times out of ten where uh, those things will be found. Otherwise, you can link it to me on social media at James C. Dyer if you so choose. Time now for this week's news. And I think the news can begin and end in only one place. And it is that Bosch has been <laughs> saved. How do you guys feel about Bosch continuing? Isn't it the greatest news ever? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I like Bush, but I, just, I haven't even noticed this news. <laughs> you haven't noticed? How? Did you not see the skywriting that I sent up? No. No, uh, Bosch, which of course was ending with its seventh season on Amazon and was not being renewed, it went out and it turns out that IMDb TV, which apparently is a thing, wow. um, has taken Bosch, but not the series, for a sort of spin-off. So Bosch is going to be in it. It's also going to have uh, Mimi Rogers as Money Chandler, the lawyer. She's going to be in this spin-off as well. And Bosch's daughter is going to be in it too. Um, so, yeah, Madison Lintz. So it's going to have those three characters. I don't know what it's going to be called. It's going to be called something different. But it's going to be them sort of working together to solve crimes. But it means more Bosch. I'm excited. It doesn't get us any closer to the Bosch-Mickey Haller crossover, because I think that's been picked up by Netflix. But, you know, Hope Springs Eternal. What the hell is IMDb TV when it's at home? No fucking idea. No idea. Anyway, no. another no. wonderful streaming service, no doubt. Anyway, the really big news of the week, you doofus, was um, that the that BBC Three is returning to become a broadcast oh channel. My yeah. God, yeah. what yeah. A fucking disaster! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like when they announced, I remember them announcing it, and I. I was so, like, I used to love BBC Three mm. and they've done such interesting, especially with new kind of talent and stuff like that. Great incubator, it always seemed to me, for talent. And the very conceit that, I remember I wanted to watch a, a, BBC, a BBC Three documentary and they'd put it online in segments of like three, oh. there were like 10 yeah. episodes of three minutes a pop. The worst viewing experience I ever had. I've never known somebody so disastrously break their own thing what were they even hoping for in the first place well, Boydie? i remember very clearly going to the press conference they had a big press conference at the bbc in tv center 
in in town in central London to re- to reveal to try and convince us that it was good news that BBC Three was being taken off air, but it, be- it was becoming like a Netflix style streaming service that you could watch some some of it on YouTube, some of it online. It, all of it would eventually be on BBC Two and BBC One, which has actually happened. But it was so insane, and everyone was like, "What are you thinking?" I remember asking the whoever it was who made the fucking decision at the time. I can't even remember which BBC bigwig it was. Like, it's just you really think like BBC is going to get that Netflix kind of feel to it just because just by taking it on and how much are you really saving how much money were you ever saving by removing it from air they never really answered that question it couldn't have been that much so it's just been one of those bizarre things where the bbc tries to outthink the market and tries it's almost being too clever of its own good all of these shows you know could have could have sat quite happily on the schedule as well as being available when you want to watch them whenever you want to watch them and all of that it's it's been one of the most ridiculous decisions as you as as you're implying of the last few years and thank fuck they've overturned it but it, it has been absolute madness yes yeah. Anything else? <laughs> um, Danny Boyle's uh, Sex Pistols TV show, we well, series, we saw the first pictures from um, this week, which is going to be based on Steve Jones's memoir, Lonely Boys, Tales from a Sex Pistol. And it kind of follows their rise, I think, kind of, you know, from um, where they were from, through all the Westwood stuff, um, the sex shop on the King's Road, and takes them right through Nevermind the Bollocks and beyond. But it's quite an interesting cast. You've got Maisie Williams, Toby Wallace, uh, Louis Posh. I don't even know who half these people are. I'm just reading them out now. (laughs) I was like, I only recognise two of these names, but I've just got to keep going. But I think the real test, right, is going to be the trailer. Because is it going to be like the David Bowie trailer moment um, where it's absolutely excruciating and like a bad stars in their eyes? We will see. The mm. pictures look pretty cool. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting prospect, isn't it? Yeah. Is it uh, you know, yeah, that story being told in a TV series with Danny Boyle is is is. I'm yeah, up for if that. anyone's going to do it. Yeah. Never mind the Sex Pistols. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> uh, see, see, I know my music. I don't. I really don't. Um, did I mean? I I I don't want to give any oxygen to the Golden Globes. I think everyone at this point realizes that they are you know what they are but the crown won some awards and so did ted lasso anyway moving on from the golden globes any, anyone have any golden globes comments they would like to make or are we i watch the golden globes as is my way I, I can't not watch a live um american awards ceremony so i watched By it. All accounts, it was quite entertaining it was so entertaining honestly partly because of the madness because it because it broke all oh my God. in the lead up to it that the was it the la times had had a story unveiling the unbelievable scandalous stuff that goes on with the <laughs> hollywood foreign press association Literally like being taken on a lavish press trip to see um, that Emily in Paris, you know. Like, we all know now why that was fucking nominated now, because they had this extraordinary five-star hotel stay in Paris, you know, to watch some of that being filmed. So that was hilarious. And the fact that there have been no black members of the Hollywood Foreign Press for fucking years. There are still, there are no black members now, which, you know, is, is was unbelievable. So you had this thing where everyone on the show... You know, from the presenters, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, to every single person presenting an award had to refer to the fact that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is a disgrace. So it was like, it was like a constant like, attack on its own, its own existence. It also, was so weird. Nobody really went for it. Like there was lots of like generic well, kind of, oh, yeah. well, you know, it's a failure and, and we're going to stay and we are going to tackle it. It's like, well, go on then. 
Like, yeah. what, I, what, I mean, what Tina Fey literally for? said in the monologue, there are no black members of the Hollywood Foreign Press. This is a disgrace. So it was like, they, 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 oh, they kind of... They still yeah. presented it. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know... yeah, of course, what, of course, yeah. D- nobody kind of boycotted <laughs> no. it. Nobody... No, you're right, yeah. You're right, yeah. It That's was, true. Um, that it true. was very... But it was excruciating. They kept, when they p- were putting them into those green yeah. rooms, those smaller breakout rooms... It was rooms. hilarious, yeah. <gasps> oh, my they God. They didn't show... So one, I, a friend of mine, he happens to be um, like an awards coordinator, you know, like that, that's her job for like, you know, for, for Sky, et cetera. And she tweeted about how they, they're always telling, whenever they do awards ceremonies on Zoom, which is the thing, they go, you're not going to have my client, you know, on Zoom at all times. Yeah. They did. And this thing, so you had Al Pacino, you know, nominated for that, ter- for that quite funny programme, just looking completely bewildered, <laughs> absolutely bewildered. Well, they kept zooming in there. at odd moments. Yeah. Did you see? It was like... Nothing to, like, literally not relevant to them at all. And it yeah. just zoom in and hold yeah. for ages. It was really funny. It was really Paul funny. Paul Davis was on camera so much. Like. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah, and Ted Lasso. To be, what's his name for Ted Lasso in his Jason hoodie? Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. I think because he was wearing a hoodie, they kept showing him all the time as well. They were <laughs> obsessed with the fact that the contrast between him wearing that and the other people dressing up to the nines. It was absolute. It was a. It was a laugh riot. I tell you. But yeah, absolutely preposterous. The whole thing was excruciating. What else is happening? Cobra Kai season four has begun production. Very pleased about that. Have you seen Boyd that the Friends reunion looks like it's finally going to be yes. shooting yes. in just over a month? Not a real yeah. reunion. No, well, that's it. That's why I'm left talking <laughs> about still, that. It's still going to be amazing, honestly. They're going to do amazing stuff. I mean, I'll watch it. Of course I'll watch it. It'll be yeah. essential viewing, but it's yeah. not. I mean, it doesn't excite me like a proper Friends sure. reunion would do. Sure. But uh, less could go wrong, though. They, imagine they did try yeah. scripted. Imagine that. Yeah. It would be awful. It would be terrible. Could be. It could be great, though. You never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never know. Everyone's still, doing it these days. I mean, days. it's not going to happen. So don't no, worry. it's not going to happen. Uh, there's a Terminator anime series in development on Netflix. Terry clearly already excited that that's coming. Ooh. What else? Indira Varma has joined the Obi Wan yeah. Kenobi TV series. Love so Indira nice. Varma. Yeah, she's love brilliant. Indira Varma. So very excited that she's going to be doing that. Edie Falco is going to play Hillary Clinton in the wow. um, American Crime Story again. Like this, this cast. Edie Falco is Hillary casting. Clinton. It's great casting. Um, Sarah Paulson as Linda Tripp. Binny Feldstein as Monica Lewinsky. Clive <laughs> Owen as Bill Clinton. I still can't go over that. That's the picture I want to see. Clive Owen as Bill fucking Clinton. Um, so that is going to be incredible. And of course, um, the good thing Monica Lewinsky is an exec producer on that show. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be absolutely fascinating when that arrives. And today they just announced that Pose, the final season of Pose. Yeah. Final yeah. seven episodes will arrive in May on FX, and I assume that the BBC Two will get them quite soon after. So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm going to call it for news just because we are on a tight schedule this week. So let's jump into this week's reviews. And first up this week, we have Next, which, thinking about it, I probably should have gone second so that I could say Next Up this week is Next. But I can't do that, so we're going to do it first. Uh, this lands on Star this week, but it did debut in the US on Fox last year. Uh, and this show, apart from insisting on having a capital X in the middle of the word, which is... <laughs> grammatically upsetting, uh, comes to us from Star Trek Enterprise showrunner Manny Cotto uh, and stars John Slattery as a trailblazing big tech CEO. And he begins to suspect that the AI his company's been working on has become self-aware and is killing people presumably as a kind of preamble for taking over the world. Uh, it was sadly cancelled after the second episode. <laughs> so that's always a good sign of quality. Uh, but all 10 parts did air in the US and are now available to us here in the UK. Boydie, to quote the West Wing, what's next? Oh, my God. Do you know what? I was like, I was quite intrigued by that. I remember when it was announced, I was thinking that's quite a good idea for a show, you know, one of these tech billionaire type egomaniac 
people um, fighting with his brother over the company that's making this AI technology that's going to somehow ruin the universe somehow. I thought, you know, that's interesting. <laughs> but the execution of this show is woeful. It's like it's so clunky and um, the, the, the writing is so awful. Like, I mean, talk about exposition. Literally, it's like... My brother runs the company now. We had a falling out. He's taken over and he sent me. Okay, that's that bit out of the way. Then it's, you are creating an AI which can which can revive whatever the jargon is, keep reviving itself and will take over the world and stop us all from dying. Then the, when the bit, when it got to the bit where the AI itself, which is basically like, you know, one of those- It's talking, Alexa, isn't it? It's Alexa. Yeah. It's Alexa gone mad. So first of all, actual Alexa, whatever, has, a, has this weird thing going on with this poor little kid who's been bullied at school. And those scenes were hilarious. <laughs> like genuinely, un uh, genuinely funny, and they're not meant to be. And then when they're all standing around talking, and suddenly the voice of the universal massive Alexa, which is quite amusingly voiced, um, and they're all like devastated by the fact they have to talk to this fucking thing. It just was really <laughs> funny, and I could, and I, you know what? I, I suddenly realised like what was wrong with this show is we've had devs in the meantime. Devs, yeah. and it really reminds you how. But the, just detail of these things are so important. Like Devs is so beautifully scripted. I know Terry wasn't a fan, but compared to this thing, I mean, Devs is so, you know, they've really thought through how, how to tell that story. And he doesn't tell it in a linear way, but he doesn't tell it e equally in an annoyingly non-linear way with gratuitous stupid flashbacks and all that. This opens with, of course, with a flashback and flash forward. <laughs> um, it's so beautifully done. And this is so clunky and, and basic and annoying. And in John Slattery just literally playing the same character from Mad, Mad Men. He could play this character in his sleep. And I love John Slattery. He's brilliantly watchable. But this character is literally that character transplanted to, to this situation with that, with nothing else to him other than that. I didn't believe a second of it. It's preposterous. No wonder they acted after two episodes. And it does make you think, poor... Um, Star on Disney Plus. I mean, there's loads of great stuff on Star on Disney Plus. Don't get me wrong, but they're also showing a hell of a lot of stuff that was basically shit and was cancelled really quickly. And they just found somewhere to shove it all um, on this streaming service in the rest of the world. So, yeah, I mean, it's not great. I mean, here's the thing, Ray. It's like, it's kind of like Robocop. So, you know, you know the scene where that thing turns on everybody and mows down and it was like mm. robocop but on a bigger scale apart from it's not scary or like the central premise for this to work has to be really terrifying which is imagine this thing that we invite into our homes into our cars in our hands like this thing that literally the entire world uses is malevolent and 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 that's the basic promise and it can you know destroy us all but it's weirdly like, as you say, it's kind of almost funny, like the thought that Alexa can turn evil. And it's it maybe it's because of the pandemic. It felt weirdly like old fashioned. And like there are so many other more terrifying things that are happening right now in the middle of a global pandemic with when Donald Trump was president last year and, you know, with the the brutalization of people and i mean with everything going on in the world this just didn't seem like something that seemed that scary or likely to happen or so without that central conceit being there and being believable and being something that really taps into a primal fear we have as human beings then the whole thing doesn't work because you just don't i didn't believe it I didn't really care about it. There's a bit where a man freaks out because a uh, security camera works, which I watched four times because I was like, 
why is he freaking out? And then it was like, oh, because it's using electricity or Wi-Fi or whatever it's fucking meant to be using. And just none of it was compelling or believable or scary or tapped into anything I'm vaguely afraid of. My iPhone isn't going to kill me. Um, I mean, it might. It might, but yeah. The way you treat it, I wouldn't blame it either. Yeah. uh, so yeah, I just thought this felt weirdly out of date and weirdly kind of irrelevant in a world which is terrifying every single day at the moment. And the funny thing is, my Alexa just came on because I keep saying Alexa really loudly, and it's next to my computer. Um, yeah. So the, the thing with this is, like this, when this starts off, you've got this sequence where John Billingsley is sort of running away from the AI as it's trying to get him, and it's just like it's just shit X Files at that point. That's a shit X Files prologue. So much so there is an episode of the X Files in season five called Kill Switch, which is written by William Gibson, which is basically this exact this whole series, this whole ten part series squeezed into one much better episode of the X Files. So rather than watching next, I suggest you go back and watch <laughs> Kill Switch, which is season five, episode eleven of the X Files. Also available on Star, I might point out. It save you a fuck ton of time. So just do that. Because yeah, this this is just it's it's just tedious. It's drawn out. I do think John Slattery is great and he's always watchable, and I enjoyed him in this. But he's the only one who imbues his character with really any depth or life because he's John Slattery. Um beyond that, there's but very little. Did you little believe to him? It. Yeah. I, no. I believe I believe that it's John Slattery. I didn't <laughs> care about the character. I was like, it was Roger John Sterling. He looked Roger like he's Sterling. having a right laugh. Yeah. It's Roger Sterling having a right old laugh, and yeah. I'm there for it but beyond that absolutely not and the other characters were just terrible and this is 10 hours long well not quite 10 hours it's 45 minute show but you see what i'm saying Mm. it's long it's a long show don't do it kill switch x files save yourself some time anyway should you wish to next is available on star on disney plus from the 12th of march next up after next we have love in the time of corona also on Star on Disney+. And because we don't have enough COVID in our lives right now, uh, this is something set around the current crisis. So this is a four-part series with an oh-so-clever kind of Gabriel Garcia Marquez punning title. Uh, And this looks at three married couples and a pair of flatmates as they try to keep their love lives kind of on track uh, during lockdown, or government-mandated celibacy, as the show refers to it. This actually aired in the US back in August, so it's actually very much set during the original burst of lockdown, way back then so it feels almost quaint i think look at looking back on it now as people are still talking about the novelty of it all and they've yet to lapse into that kind of sullen soul-sucking tedium that defines all our lives here in march 2021 still still it remains i guess at least slightly topical so terry did you love this in the time of corona so as i was just saying you know there are terrifying things happening in the world for real but i don't think necessarily We want to see TV shows and films about COVID because based on this, people should just stop. Like, stop. (laughs) This is, and I'm just going to cut to the chase on this one, guys. This is cringe and cheesy and cheap and unbearable. So as you say, it is a four-part part of filmed during the pandemic i think actually some of it was shot at cast members homes there are real life people from their lives in there and families and friends um which you would think would give it some sense of of grounding and reality and they claim that this show captures the hopeful search for love and connection during the time of quarantine. (laughs) The director is a woman called Joanna Johnson, which I found fascinating because she used to be in Bold and the Beautiful, 
like actually in the bold and the beautiful and then, and maybe we can see a slight stretch for the uh, vibe of bold and the beautiful but it is neither bold nor beautiful so it is a kind of a the love actually set up where there's um groups of people households really four interconnected households who's we're looking at how their relationships are kind of um, changing and put under pressure during lockdown. Um, so there's a couple who are talking about whether they should have a baby. There are some friends who live together. We'll get to them in a minute. Um, <laughs> one's kind of in love with the other one, although he is gay and she is straight and a woman. There's a mum and dad who've, split, who've separated, haven't told their daughter. We'll get to her in a minute. Um, they're splitting up. Um, she's just been dumped over zoom i think no text actually and then there's this very sweet uh married couple who are much older they're unable to be together he's actually in, in some kind of care having dementia from what you can tell so there's a few problems which is we talk about this a lot the person who works out how to show tech on screen in a non-clumsy clunky awful way should be given a massive prize because Jesus Christ. So this, obviously, one of the challenges of making a show about COVID is you don't leave your house and you only communicate with people via things like FaceTime or Zoom and you make TikToks. So all of these things are employed in a really... And they have to be overused because none of these characters can leave the house. Um, These heavy-handed references to other things going on. So there's an entire conversation about white privilege, which the, the writing and the dialogue is honestly excruciating. So in particular... So these quarantine roommates played by she this the girl is L played by Rainey Quelly and Oscar, who is um played by Tommy Dorfman. Now they both try this like they have Zoom dates in separate rooms and you follow these Zoom dates and they're both excruciating for different reasons and then you're meant to believe that she then decides he's her perfect mate even though he's gay and is looking for a man to fall in love with. It's all really forced and excruciating. None of it is believable at all. I mean... This has got Jill Bellows in, who, by the way, Ali McBeal is capable yeah. of actual acting. And he's the separated dad. And they're, okay, Ava Bellows, the, the girl is who plays her daughter. And there's this whole thing about her being over emotional and she's kind of hysterical. And, and I mean, it's like somebody said to her, like, you're not a teenage girl, try and pretend to be a teenage girl. And it's like a teenage girl trying to pretend to be a teenage girl. It's so heavy-handed and over the top she's their actual daughter that's gil bellows which, and, and which I, so that's their, that's an actual family which i can't work out because they're another group of people who act like they've never met before five minutes ago <laughs> so there's no chemistry or natural and maybe that's what happens when you somebody you're with your family and somebody turns the camera on it becomes incredibly awkward and forced none none of these couples are believable um and we should say you know it's got decent people in it uh leslie odom jr obviously from hamilton um plays the guy who's trying to work out whether to have another um child with his wife the elderly couple are very sweet and uh that's l scott coldwell and she's obviously dealing with her husband being in isolation and them being separated he can't remember their son that's that's actually kind of weirdly sweet and bittersweet and quite that that's uh, i i found myself quite moved by that story the rest of it and i watched one episode out of the four just to be clear 
<laughs> I just it's it the quality if we're talking about quality which we should be the quality is absolutely not there and I know it's shot at home and I know that you know making the best of it with real life people who maybe aren't actors I don't know but it it was all just yeah excruciating and awful and please never make me watch another one did you did you was it in the episode you watched or was it in the second episode where Ava Bellows who is 21 years old climbs into bed with her parents <laughs> yes that's the first one. Oh my I mean what the fuck was that about that was just weird wasn't it was it so there's that then that which was completely ridiculous then there's a scene where the gay the cliche gay best friend of the woman who's in love with him are in the bath together and he's really and he's like what shaving her legs or picking her toes or whatever the fuck he's doing <laughs> I'm like no this doesn't happen fuck off it doesn't this is happen. absolute bullshit and the whole thing was was sickening almost like sickeningly indulgent as well as like these these people in their lovely homes are like but you know kind of not really connecting with the problem of, of the virus of the global pandemic this feels like a it's interesting there are only four episodes it's almost like they couldn't be bothered to kind yeah. of spin this out longer. Like we've made our point, you know, this is how the pandemic is affecting these particular people. Um, and that's about it. And we can't even be bothered to make them in any way three-dimensional believable. I mean, the 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 um the, the two of them looking at the guy, the naked guy in the shower in his garden. The guy showers naked in his garden, really. Um, that happens all the time, obviously. Uh everything about it was 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 ridiculous. They're, they're just barely like one or two moments that rang true in the whole thing. The only moment that rang true was the woman who had the online um, date with the with the with the nerd who looks like Superman. Yeah. who was going on about the, how much he liked the DC universe. I mean, Snyder this, bro, oh yeah. my the god, Snyder he was bro the worst. made me laugh. That did, yeah. that did make me laugh love, in a very in a very Batman versus way. Superman. His love and of him Batman versus Superman. Explaining the yeah. Martha thing to her. Yeah. Oh god, that was funny. That was the only good bit of the whole thing. The rest of it was was poor yeah it's not good is it I, I i wasn't quite sure what what this was for like yes i get it the world kind of changed but i feel like on the one hand it's too soon because we're all in the midst of this stuff but also it's too late like i got this when this aired which was summer last year i can kind of see it feeling slightly more current like we were in a situation where where people were discovering sort of zoom dates for the first time and the bizarre surrealness that is dating in a pandemic but at this point anyone who's single has been doing this for a fucking year like it's not interesting or clever anymore and this entire show seems to be based around that setup as its crux its clever thing and it doesn't have any particularly good script or good characters to sort of take it beyond that so other than saying hey look the world is nuts right now and this is what it's like which we all know I don't see what there is really to I, recommend this. Well, I think everyone, I think what happened was everyone at roughly the same time as this arrived thought we can still, we can make some kind of show yeah. about this, what the world is like now. And it will be some kind of cultural artifact in years to come. And in a way it kind of is. I mean, this is terrible, but we, you can look back on it and go, oh, that's it was kind of like that a bit somehow. But I think stage, the Michael Sheen, David yeah. Tennant series, yeah. that should, the only way to do it is to be is yeah. to make take the piss out of it and take the piss out of the fact that everyone has to use Zoom and all all of that and says the same things and talks about the same problems of going shopping and that was great that was the, that was the one that did it properly because it was just funny and it was satirical this is so earnest and kind of labored and it's just it's just a bit embarrassing yeah i know what you mean and it does feel like back then again people weren't really making content no one really knew quite how to make content because of lockdown whereas now like it's a well-oiled machine things are yeah. back in production people yeah. are testing they've got testing hubs everyone knows what they're doing the walking dead is churning out episodes I 
I think at this point, this series serves no purpose. Like this, this is kind of like the stopgap. Hey, no one's creating any content, so here's some content. And guess what? It's about the hell we're living in. But you know, almost a year on, it's a bit like no. As you say, this is yet another kind of weird shit thing from America, which has been dumped <laughs> on the star for us yeah. to safely ignore. So uh, yes, that is Love in Time of Corona, and that is available on Star and Disney Plus from Friday the twelfth of March. Finally, this week, we have Grace. This is ITV's adaptation of Peter James's Roy Grace novels, which sees John Sim playing the Brighton-based detective. And this one kicks off with the first novel, Dead Simple, uh, which is a missing persons case where a man vanishes into thin air on his stag party. Luckily for John Sim, though, he has the assistance of D.I. Brandis, who has presumably been seconded from AC3 <laughs> for this particular assignment. Uh, Boydie, what was the verdict on Grace. Well, as I said before, when I was talking about McDonald and Dodds, this is this is ITV is definitely looking for these feature-length Sunday night serials in the kind mm. of Inspector Morse endeavor kind of way. So they're quite, you know, they're, they're, I, don't, I think they're, they're they're looking for kind of mainstream, broad appeal shows, and this is definitely one of those. It is, it's quite a good idea. I mean, I've read the books, some of these books that was originally oh, based on, yeah, yeah, and and you know, they're they're good. They're they're, they're very entertaining. It's, and I think you know, um, uh, uh, Peter James who writes them, he's they're kind of like the least pretentious, the least. It's like I've got this detective character living in Brighton, and I'm going to come up with some really kind of eye-catching mysteries for him to solve. It's kind of the basis for it, and it, they work really well on that level. Um, and this one is, is you know, this is the, was the first one I think, and um, the idea of a guy disappearing on his stag night is a good idea. What then happens to him? Um, is kind of preposterous and extreme. And, and and as this goes on, as this two-hour show, you know, probably about 100 minutes without ads goes on, the more it goes on, the more ridiculous and out, out there the plot becomes. Um, and then, you know, it ends up with characters confronting each other in a way that reminded me of A Touch of Cloth, which I often refer to, um, which was the br brilliant spoof of all of these kinds of shows made a few years ago for Sky. You can get it all on Sky box sets. Um, I, I urge everyone to watch A Touch of Cloth. Touch of Cloth if you want a really brilliant um, Charlie Brooker and Friends scripted piss take of this kind of thing. But it does, at various points, become one of those really cliched, classic, stereotypical detective shows. And yet, I really enjoyed it, I have to say. I, I just enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the character. I think John Sim is kind of in very relaxed mode. He's kind of affable. Because the thing about Roy Grace, he's kind of an affable detective. His wife disappeared years ago and he's got that trauma. But he's dealing with it very well, basically. I mean, he has some nightmares about it. But, you know, he's kind of not letting it get to him. He's his best friend in the in the force, DS Branson, played by Richard Campbell, who I really like. Richard Campbell's an incredibly likable um, actor. And he's playing this character who gives um, Roy Grace a chance. And, and the contra controversy about Roy Grace is that his previous big case was solved with the help of a medium and that is um, really interesting and you, all the way along you're like is he really believing that this medium's going to help him and everyone takes the piss out of him for going to a medium thinks it's ridiculous which is fair enough so there's a whole kind of idea of is, it, is, this, is this slightly kind of involving the supernatural or not are we supposed to really take it seriously that this medium can find out where bodies are located etc and it strings that along quite effectively so you're never quite sure whether it really is buying into that idea or not so it, it, it's silly. It's ridiculous. There's, if you think about it for more than five minutes, I don't think it makes much sense. And some of the big moments in the thing are borderline comical, especially if you've seen a touch of cloth. <laughs> but I did really enjoy it. I have to say, and I will be watching every. So this is the first one, this feature length one. There will be others kind of intermittently 
um, coming up later this year. They're not going one go. They're going to they be. They don't follow on. For, yeah, yeah. Kind of for some reason, ITV. So they've got like they've had McDonald and Dodds, then Grace arrives, and then there's a, like a the Midsummer Murders. This is showing you just how mainstream this Sunday night eight o'clock slot is, and it's pre Watershed, by the way, which is quite incredible considering some of the stuff that happens in this episode. So. From that, if you take all that into account, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun ride. Boyd's right. It is quite ridiculous. The story doesn't entirely hang together. And the mystery that you think it is, is kind of cleared up or or you know who's done it quite quickly, which is there is something a bit of an anticlimax of the way everything's revealed. It's not done in the kind of most um, sophisticated of ways, I say, I'd say. I'd say, but I really like this. Oh, and the medium thing is fucking ridiculous. Totally <laughs> irrelevant. No point at all. Like, no reason for it. Um, but I think John Sim is like, I very much enjoy him in this. Can you believe he's 50? Yeah, incredible. Oh, my God, how is he 50? Yeah. Brighton looks absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, his chemistry is really nice with Branson, who's the other copper he's working with, played by Richie Campbell. I just thought... I. I kind of, even though it was ridiculous, I believed the entire thing. The 90 minutes went past really, really quickly. This is just good, old-fashioned copper drama over 90 minutes. Like, I am bang up for this. I am really excited for all the others. And as Boyd said, don't, like, think about it too hard. Don't expect it to be incredibly sophisticated or doing something new or particularly that interesting or singular. But it almost doesn't matter because it's just proper kind of solid British police drama with an interesting case at the heart of it. And I very much enjoyed it. I had a lovely time. I really didn't. Like, oh. I really didn't <gasps> enjoy this at you? all. And what this is very it? much my bag. Like, I love, I love a, I love a, a British police drama, but I also love a surname-based police drama based on a novel. Like, that's my, like, you know, Thorn, DCI Banks, Bosch, all of this shit. I love it. Uh, and yet this, I just couldn't get on with at all. And I think partly it's that I found the character, because a lot of these, a lot of these, these you know, surname-based shows and books have at their heart a very flawed, very layered, interesting character. And regardless of whether the cases are hugely labyrinthine and complicated, it almost doesn't matter because you love spending time with this fascinating character who's probably self-destructive, almost certainly an alcoholic, whatever. But I found old Roy Grace to be super bland. Just like so bland. It's the most vanilla police detective I've ever encountered. And he just bored my absolute tits off whenever he was on the screen. Thank God for D.I. Brandis, old Laura Elphinstone. I was very excited when she turned <laughs> she up. She didn't have much to do, to be fair. She didn't no, have much to didn't. do. That's absolutely true. But she's probably still traumatised from the sack of King's Landing. But um, I, like the story, like the mystery itself, I didn't think was either particularly sophisticated or that compelling. So I was a bit like, yeah, okay, fine. I'm vaguely, vaguely curious to know what's going on. But I think what threw me more than anything, the medium thing is so fucking stupid because it doesn't, it's not just like it starts with that. The whole episode, the show starts with this medium thing. So you're like, oh, okay, I get this. This is like an ex farsi He's a shit fox molder. Fine. You know, you get, but, and then you, you, you're watching the thinking, is this even relevant? Like, and it keeps coming back to it. Like it's the thread all the way through, but it seems so tangential to the whole thing. I'm almost curious to know in future books whether this is an ongoing thing because it just seemed, it wrong-foots you from the start and makes you think it's a different type of show and it's just a distraction but not even a very interesting distraction short of a scene where a guy starts waggling a pendulum above a map for absolutely no reason and I can assume to bloat the runtime. I just 
Yeah, I was really, really disappointed by this. I think if he'd been a more interesting, like if he'd been Luther, if he'd been someone more interesting Luther. or had an interesting relationship with another character that I could have sunk my teeth into, I could have forgiven the fact that the mystery itself didn't really do it for me. But as it happens, I was clock watching pretty much all the way through this. And I've got to be honest, boy, cursing your name for the fact that this was an hour and a half and you'd make me watch it. Well, did you not? <laughs> well, I mean- Wait, were you not interested by his missing wife? You see, I thought mm. that was it. I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> Not if it had been in any way relevant to the story. But it's relevant just, because it was. Her, he was yeah. missing, she was missing. Yeah. That, what the, there was a point yeah, where that character. may have been used to manipulate him. Yeah. That I mean, personal like occasionally, you'd, he'd say something along the lines of, yep, yeah, my wife disappeared five years ago. I'm a bit sad. Anyway, and carry on. And then there's a ridiculous exchange where he talks about it with a character later on, which I didn't believe for one second and was just daft. But... No, this this is not doing for me. I would say if you want a surname-based show, there are better ones available than Grace. Sorry. But having said that, Boyd and Terry liked it, so, you know, yeah. your mileage yeah. may vary. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this first feature-length Grace appears on ITV on Sunday the 14th, and there will be further Grace mysteries popping up on ITV later in the year. So... Look forward to that. What else is out this week, Boydie? Uh, I don't think there is that much else. Um, well, there's the one, isn't oh, there? Oh, sorry, the one. Which is on oh, Netflix God. and How... basically the same as Soulmates. I mean, so it is unbelievably, the premise is unbelievably the same as Soulmates. I mean, it is incredible how it's the same premise. I mean, I'm not I, I'm not accusing either of ripping off each other. It's clearly a coincidence, but they've literally yeah. got the same idea at the centre of them. Well, Except one, it's not an anthology, is it? And this one is based no, on a book, a, isn't it? Right. So the book, yeah. I think, has been out a few yeah. years. The book must have been out a while, yeah. But yeah. it's... But it's the um, idea that there you have a soulmate, a DNA, and some kind of part of your DNA can be matched to someone else in the world who who is your soulmate. I mean, that's literally the same idea. But this yeah. is a, a this is an eight part continuing narrative rather than an, different stories each week. Yeah. Well, if you enjoyed Soulmates and simply can't get enough of that premise, then the one does drop on Netflix on the twelfth. Uh, what else is happening? Paradise PD, which I've never seen, drops its third season on Netflix, also on the twelfth. Oh, I've never seen uh, that either. And The Good Doctor gets a fourth season on Sky Witness on the sixteenth. If that's something that amuses you, what would be our pick of the week? My pick of the week is to just go and watch the newsroom, but that's just me. Oh. What? Uh, what about Grace. you two? Grace. Of these, of these three Grace. shows, Grace. Grace. Can't wait God. for the second one. Grace. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, to be honest. It probably is Grace, but mainly because the other two are dreadful. No, it's not been the best week, let's be frank. It's, no. not, it's not a stellar no. week for no. television. No. No. You're starting to see how certain TV channels don't have that much content, <laughs> yeah. to use that word, and have to, so it's, yeah. Well... That is it for another episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. Uh, We always appreciate your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or indeed anywhere else for that matter. And if you've given us less than a five-star rating in the past, yet are still here for some reason listening to us, then do feel free to go back and amend that, please. Um, If you'd like to follow us on the socials, we are at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White. Next week... We're going to be going on holiday with Kaylee Cuoco in The Flight Attendant, uh, possibly watching the rather bizarre audio-only series Calls on Apple TV+. But let's be honest, none of that matters, because next week we'll be interested in one thing, and one thing only, and that is Bent Coppers, because Line of Duty Series 6 lands on the 21st of March, and we absolutely cannot wait, fella. Until then, though, pilot out. Pilot out.